Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales, where you believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Be sure to check out our website and sign up for our newsletter for the latest on the podcast. Today is part two of two, where we are talking to Emily Michael about her novels. After today, you will have heard about winning a contest with your first writing, telling yourself stories, taking seven years to get your first book to a publishable state, joining groups to help hone your craft, learning as you go what works for you to get your books published and promoted, figuring out that plotting doesn't work for your creative process, and using your books and editing to help calm your brain. A Memory of Wings an Angels and Demons Paranormal Romance, Memory Duology, Book One. How far will Hell's top assassin go to save the angel he was sent to kill? Demon hitman Shax craves freedom. Stuck on Earth and bedeviled by his past sins, he drowns the urge to finish his last job with drugs and sex. Unable to ignore the impulse any longer, Shax stalks his target and in a split second that will change everything? chooses to spare her life. Fearless guardian angel Keone hates demons, but when an age-old enemy protects her from an explosion that kills her friend, she makes a deal with her devil to hunt down the murderer. Keone begins to question everything she once knew to be true about good and evil. Entangled in the events that sealed the gates to heaven and hell, Shax is torn between saving his own skin and his forbidden love for this angel. And while they discover pieces of a puzzle that may reopen the way home, Keone struggles to trust her new partner and fights their growing passion. Will this unholy alliance tear the universe apart? A Redemption of Wings An Enemies to Lovers Paranormal Romance Memory Duology Book 2 Warrior Angel Demon Assassin Will she brave the depths of hell to save him? Guardian Angel Keone feels powerless. She's lost everything she ever knew and now is trapped in purgatory with the one being she trusts. The demon sent to kill her but saved her instead. As they search for a way to escape the wretched souls and gloomy monotony of limbo, her desire for the assassin grows to maddening heights. Shax knows one thing. He loves Keone. He didn't dare hope she would return his feelings, but when their budding relationship takes a passionate turn, he breaks free from an eternity of torment. Finally changing after all this time, Shax vows to become worthy of her. Keone can no longer deny her heart, but if she rebuilds the gates to heaven and hell to save the fabric of the cosmos, she will doom her lover to fiery damnation. And though Shax is willing to sacrifice his freedom, his life, even his immortal soul— he fears the powerful forces arrayed against them will be his beloved's ruin. Can they save all of creation without losing each other? 
So what do you think has been the best piece of advice you've received and the worst piece of advice you've received? Um, let's see. The best piece of advice for me was to try out NaNoWriMo because that really works for how I do that first draft. It helps me a lot to just get it out as quickly as possible and then Uh go back and fix it later. Right. Um, Worst piece of advice. Oh goodness. I'm trying, trying to think I've tried a lot. I mean, anybody who suggests you sit down and outline, you know, extensively before you start writing, it's just not going to work for how I process story. Yeah. It doesn't work for everybody. you know, if it works for people, it's great. You know, mm-hmm. that's wonderful. I am so happy for them that they found a process that works for them. It does not work well for me. And I think that's part of what um, stopped me from writing is because everybody was telling me you have to outline, you have to uh-huh. outline. And outlining has always been difficult for me and kills the creative process for me. Uh-huh. I know it doesn't do it for everyone, but it kills right. it for me. And, and that's one of the reasons why it took me so long to sit down and realize that I had a story in me and needed to get it out. Uh-huh. I didn't have to outline it in order to tell a story. My, so I started one book and I pantsed it totally for 30,000 words. There was no planning involved whatsoever. And then my brain went, ooh, fairy tale retellings. And I had an idea over Christmas to do one that uses Christmas song titles as the chapter titles. And so the fairy tale retelling that I'm about 12, 13,000 words into now is the Christmas one. <laughs> Obviously, <Okay>. Christmas song titles. <laughs> and it is only plotted in so much that I needed to know what song title, what was going to happen in that chapter for the song to make sense with the chapter. So I have it outlined in like a what would make sense for a traditional story, like your, you know, conflict is going to happen here. There's going to be a battle. So I have the song that's going to go with the battle. This is going to happen. But that's like, that's my entire outline is these like maybe five word things about like, this is what's going to happen in this chapter. And then you got to figure out the rest of it. Well, and I think that's where I went wrong with the book too and my fairy tale retellings is I, I over outlined. Okay. And I was so drawn to stick to the outline that I didn't chase down the fun things that as a mostly pantser help right. me get through the telling of a story. So well, I, I'm I actually, like anything could happen in the chapter before you just know like this thing happens in the next chapter. So get yourself to that thing. And, then yeah. you're good. and, and I found that like beat sheets, you know, the, the save the cat or romancing the beat mm-hmm. uh, tend, tend to keep me on track. So I I liken it to a map, you know, you have a road trip from LA to New York and a beat sheet will make sure you get to all the places that you want to get to in between the the beginning and end Uh and not end up saying Saskatchewan or Chihuahua. (laughs) We're going to stop at this landmark in this city that is, you know, maybe five, 10 minutes out the way, but we want to go see it. Yeah. Um, and and I found that really helped, but I, I think I gave myself a little too much time to plan 
this this uh, Sleeping Beauty retelling, and I ended up like stuck in the outline instead of like okay that's not working let me toss that and right. you know and go in this direction. You're like no, um, but I spent all the time on the outline. I have to stick to the outline. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote. I ended up drafting three books within six a six month period. Which, oh gosh! For whatever reason, I I don't know why, but it, that that's what happened. And that that Sleeping Beauty book, I think I over outlined the um, Cinderella retelling. I had was about right. I gave myself seven days to outline it. I drafted it in in NaNoWriMo in about twenty eight days. I think twenty seven, twenty eight days. So, mm-hmm. and then the Santa story, zero planning. It just was this idea churning around in my head. I sat down, I started writing it. Now, as I write, I come up with ideas and I'll leave myself notes like, oh, this mm-hmm. is this is what happens in the next chapter or right. this has to happen, you know, around, you know, the, the two thirds mark or whatever. Mm-hmm. But as far as like sitting down and like coming up with character sheets and beat sheets, none of that. I just sat down and started writing. And it's the easiest book I've ever written. (laughs) So Uh, so my husband also writes and he puts way more. He has character sheets for each of his characters because his is like there's superheroes involved. And so he's got like what superpowers do they have and like what does their costume look like and like things like that he has so that he can reference it. It makes sense for his story. Me, I'm like, you know, riding along and I'll be like. Callie is sitting, like, getting ready for her day. She has to pull her blonde hair up in a ponytail, copy and paste blonde hair into the spreadsheet of the character details. <laughs> so I remember she has blonde hair later. Like, that's my character sheets as, as I'm writing it. <laughs> it. It works for everyone. But then while he's writing, he has no outline while he's writing, but then he'll have a scene pop in his head. So he'll do chapter, question mark, question mark, write the scene that's stuck in his head. Yeah. And then he goes in and fills in as he gets there. So, like, kind of, like, he has it in his head and it won't go away. So he has to write that scene just to, like, be able to function and write the rest of the book. Yes. (laughs) But, like, he doesn't know where that's going to fit into the book until he gets there. So (laughs) I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Or me, I'm, like, following my my plan of song chapters. But my, my planning session was basically me just listening through the band I knew who had done the most Christmas songs ever was pentatonics because every year they release a new christmas album and so i just i put all of their albums into a playlist on apple music and i just listened straight through all the songs all the songs and like some of them it would be like oh that song wouldn't make sense for this book at all throw it out we can't use that one but then i'd find these ones and i'm like oh that'd work really well for like a battle scene or oh that'd work really well if she was like imprisoned for whatever reason or like you know <laughs> things that you would see in pretty much every fantasy book ever i'm not giving away anything about my story <laughs> but <laughs> it's like these things it's like oh that song would work really well for this or whatever that that was my planning session was just listening to a bunch of songs and thinking like what could happen in a chapter with this or like you'd come to let's see like what's one that I threw out um it's a Beauty and the Beast retelling so I kept like gr- the Grinch song okay your, your mean one Mr. Grinch because I was like right. oh that'd work really well for the Beast like absolutely <laughs> obviously yeah. <laughs> um but then like other ones I can't even think of like ones that I threw out but there would be like ones that were too similar of songs so I'm like pick the favorite one you know right 
that 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 was basically my entire planning session was just listening <laughs> and it took me a couple days because that's they have a lot of Christmas albums <laughs> so it took me several days to listen through them all um but yeah and then I went and added the ones that I wanted to a spreadsheet with what could happen in that chapter and then got them in an order that made sense for the acts of a book <laughs> so right. you can't have the battle at the beginning that would be odd you got to, like, introduce the world and all of that. So you have, like, deck the halls. Right. <laughs> one for, for world building. Yeah. World building, decorating the house for Christmas time. <laughs> like, it makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that is in the next book will probably have it won't be song related. Um, at least I don't think it'll be song related. I don't know. Um, Christmas songs, you're not going to get sued for using the song names because how many artists have used those same song names? Right. Um, if you decided to go through, like, Taylor Swift's entire catalog of music for chapter mm -hmm. titles, you might get in trouble there. So <laughs> I will well, if memory avoid serves, those. If memory serves from the research I've done, song titles can be trademarked but not copyrighted. It's the lyrics that are copyrighted. It, yes. Um, song titles can only be trademarked, though, if it's, like, you can't have a song title with just, like, a word. Right. Or, like, but she like, has the the ones that are, like, the age that she was. Like, right. I can't even think of yeah, that. Yeah, you can't. You can't. You can't do, like, I have for one of my podcasts, not this one, um, I trademarked the name, um, which is Bite at a Time Books, and the trademark office was very specific, like, I don't own books. That is not mine. I own books in the context of Bite at a Time Books, like, that right. grouping of words I own, or I'm in the process like, of them reviewing my application to own, but they were yeah, very like specific the, the about. Woman, the author who a few years ago tried to trademark cocky. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but then there's like, the um, let me think. Uh, what's her face? Who owns the oak? Her. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's hot. Um, Taylor Swift owns like a bajillion trademarks. Like she right. owns a lot. Some of the Beatles titles are copyrighted. Like Yellow Submarine. Yeah. You can't, you can't use that. Uh, yeah, so like ones that are so yeah. recognizable, but there's a lot of like, think how many books have the same names. Oh, yeah. So it's I, I just saw a post on TikTok this morning where someone was talking about books she had read that had the same name and which one she preferred out of the two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like it's it's hard because I feel like I'll be reading and I'll be like, didn't I read this book already? And it's like, oh, I did, but it was from a different author. Uh, what was the one? <laughs> I was just looking one up yesterday and I was like this is really similar to another book that I read different authors I'm like oh it's just similar names different people wrote it though so yeah it's you can't you can't own a title unless it is so recognizable as yours right um like you know court of thorns and roses she could own that because that is you know whatever you also can't um trademark a person's name Unless it is someone so ridiculously like J.K. Rowling is trademarked because, hello, so yes. <laughs> such a large amount of money tied to that name, she can own it. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> normal people, you can't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
anyways but, but you're right most of the carols and and holiday songs are are really really old and yeah a lot of that has passed the the lyrics and stuff on on many of them not all of them have passed into public domain well and at one point in the writing process of this book i was like oh wouldn't it be cool if i like took the lyrics from the songs and like wove those into the chapters well then i ran into trying to weave those into the chapters <laughs> I was like that sounds really hard we're just gonna go and then some of the songs that would have been the cooler ones are not public domain right so I'm like I can get away with the theme of the song right you can't trademark a theme nope <laughs> but um cannot get away with just like straight up using because if anyone I could get away with it but if anyone ever found out that that's what I had done that's when I would get in trouble right so I stopped doing that because also my brain was like how do we work all these phrases in so there may be the occasional like one of the songs on one of the albums is like I just called to say I love you how many books have that line in them yeah <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah if it's a common phrase you can yeah. trademark or copyright yeah particular phrase but in the context of the larger passage yes yeah <laughs> like it would yeah it would make sense in a romance fantasy book for someone to call and say that yes <laughs> i should say mine is it's half fantasy half contemporary like it bridges the two worlds so contemporary like, fantasy that's that's what i am writing for my holiday book as well so, so Contemporary fantasy, I thought was more... No, it's urban fantasy. I'm yeah. thinking where it takes place in our world, but it's like fantasy creatures. Right. Um, well, that's what... Contemporary fantasy means that it is set in our world, but it has a fantastical or magical element. No, mine is legitimately half the chapters are in our world and half are in a fantasy ah, world. okay. <laughs> so <laughs> it, is, it is both. <laughs> It'll make sense whenever I finish it and it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> now, in the original Beauty and the Beast, um, like the one that was written in French and like all of that, um, she is at the Beast's castle, right? Um, which we all know from all of the versions. But right. in her dreams, she's with the human version of the prince. And so I took that concept and kind of turned it around a little bit. Um to like do that or whatever so she in her dreams like in that book will be in the fantasy world okay and going back and forth so that's and of course you know, she doesn't know this at the beginning because what fun would the book be if she knew that at the beginning Very true. <laughs> there's gotta be the the discovery part of everything <laughs> book two she'll know what's going on kind of <laughs> all right so what is I don't know. Tell me something weird about you that your readers may not know. Oh, goodness. Um, weird. I don't know what's weird about me. I mean, I, I personally <laughs> think I am just weird. Um, so <laughs> what are things that you do that normal people don't? <laughs> Tell myself stories at bedtime and think it's normal. Fair. <laughs> I feel realize like... that that makes me, you know at least neurodivergent if not a writer so you know I always kind of knew that my brain worked differently and probably I don't know mid-20s I started finally saying like well I don't know how other people's brains work but this is like what mine is doing or whatever 
And it wasn't until I narrated a book on autism, like high-functioning autism, that I was like, hmm, that might be it. (laughs) (laughs) Diagnosed, no. Do I care to spend the money to get diagnosed? Also, no. But Mm -hmm. I'm like, the awkward things that I do, I'm like, that would kind of explain a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But the one thing that I know... For sure, for sure about me is reading and narrating calms my brain. Like, the, it's not chaotic up there when I'm reading or narrating. And that's how I feel with writing and editing. Is that it's the words, the words make sense. The words help me focus on other things <laughs> somehow like you know process the emotions and and you know build this this image in my head that is lovely you know <laughs> and calming and feels productive instead of bouncing off the walls so. mm-hmm. worrying about so in the last couple of weeks you were not one of the ones that had to be rescheduled but last week I was supposed to have two author interviews that I had to reschedule Because I had water leaking from outside of my house into my house walls. And so last weekend I had to reschedule the interviews because I needed to make sure my sheetrock wasn't wet. And I insanely decided to fix it myself. So so I spent last, let's see, Friday I took a keyhole saw to my sheetrock inside my house and cut large holes in the walls to try to find where the water's coming from. Saturday, I spent most of the day spraying a hose at the brick on the outside with my daughter watching inside to see when water started dripping inside. And then I basically ended up coating all of my mortar between my bricks in concrete to seal the massive cracks that were leaking the water into my house. (laughs) But then my brain, we get that fixed on Saturday. On Sunday, we move this nice booth in here into the office, which the wall to my right here, it butts up to the wall we fixed. Okay. And my brain all week long has been like, but what if we didn't fix it? What if? And then I find out because I'm like, I smell wet sheetrock again. Of course, we can always move this booth around if we need to. But my brain is like, you smell wet sheetrock. Did it rain that day? No. No, it did not rain that day. How did the sheetrock get wet if it didn't rain? Not possible. (laughs) So then I'm like Googling like phantom smells. Apparently anxiety can cause you (laughs) to imagine smells. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm like, do we need to pile any more problems on my head? (laughs) Yeah, it it has been a week here. Um, Our air conditioning, we live in Arizona. Southern Arizona, and so it's mm, pushing a hundred. Yeah, and our air conditioning went out, and we oh, have an no. older unit. And I'm like, this, this, this might be it. Fortunately, it was not it. <laughs> oh, good it for you know a few hundred dollars instead of a few thousand dollars. But I'm in Texas, so I understand yeah. the heat problems. Um, that was one of the reasons for this booth. I have an air conditioner at my feet now that I can not have on during interviews because it is loud. I did not want to spend three times the amount for the silent unit so it can be turned on between stuff. I had it blasting before we got on here so that it got (laughs) nice and cold. Um, But yeah, I get a couple summers ago, same thing happened to us. We called them out a couple hundred dollars to fix it and then it broke again like a month later and they're like, listen, 
<laughs> you can spend a couple hundred dollars, but your unit is also like 15 years old. So you're basically just putting Band-Aids on it. I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> we'll pay. <sighs> yeah. But it was also like the last week of school. So every mm. day was a different schedule. This yeah. Week. With I have high schoolers, so we you know, finals or half days. And then we had two full days, but one of the full days we start an hour later and I couldn't get anything done. And then, and then I accidentally overwrote an editing project I'm working on and lost two days worth of work. Oh no. (laughs) So (laughs) it's like, ow, please let this be the last gasp of this year. (laughs) Well, and that was me getting into the booth too, because I took like a week off of narrating that wasn't supposed to be off of narrating and I'm like now I'm having to do like time and a half to like catch up to myself and I'm like I just need this booth done but I did (laughs) learn last weekend the amazing things I learned last weekend one my husband lifted these big ass walls into place by himself um except for the big the biggest wall section which is the one behind where my computer is right now um, I did have to help with that one because that one was bigger. He couldn't, like, bear hug it. It was too big. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, realistically, we got this, the box built in a day, less than a day, a couple hours it took us to get this. So I'm like, if we have to take it apart, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> Hard they part. I would have to rip the <laughs> lights. The lights do wrap around. So I would have to rip all the lights out for us wow. to move it because it has to come apart. It's not on wheels. That would be really convenient, but I don't know that they make wheels to hold like a thousand pounds of stuff. Well, they do, but that might be prohibitive. I feel like it might make a lot of creaking noises, which would not be good for the recording thing. Well, and then you would have a gap underneath, you know, you would probably have at least a small gap. air gap, yeah. Yeah, and that, that would also allow a little too much ambient noise in. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole thing, I mean, the whole time my mom's like, well, why aren't we just building it? Why aren't you just using your own floor? And I'm like, well, that kind of defeats the purpose of it being like mostly soundproofed. Although I did buy a, um, I have a portable air conditioner, which has a tube that's like, I don't know, six inches or so. So I'm like, I did cut a giant hole in the side, (laughs) but I also needed air conditioning. So, you know, you got to you got to pick <laughs> your things you're willing to live with and then you just make it as soundproof as possible. Yes. <laughs> so. Anyways, the the things that it doesn't matter what the job is, whether you're the person writing the book or editing the book or narrating the book, whatever the job is, it has to do with the book, making the cover of the book. There are challenges you will run into. It yes. is how you overcome those to get the end product that you need and you hope it costs as little as possible. (laughs) That is very true. All right. Well, you have a good rest of your Saturday and good luck. Good luck on the edits. I hope that it is not a third of the book. That sounds like a nightmare rewriting all of that, but good luck. I've done it before. I had one book where I had to rewrite the middle twice. This. Yeah, it was it was a mess. It was it was a mess. But I think I had to rewrite about a thousand words of mine, but it wasn't like total rewrite. It was like it needed to be more there needed more personality in it. So I just had to like add add to it, not totally rewrite it. That's so far my only experience. 
I need something published to have more experience. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time. You have a good rest of your day, and I hope you have a good day, too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. As Emily got older, she liked Beauty and the Beast and The Little Mermaid. Since we've already done all versions of these two stories that I can find, today we'll be reading an Andrew Lang story. He, like the Brothers Grimm, also collected fairy tales, including Beauty and the Beast. Andrew Lang was a Scottish poet, novelist, literary critic, and contributor to the field of anthropology. He is best known as a collector of folk and fairy tales. The Andrew Lang lectures at the University of St. Andrews are named after him. Today we'll be reading Prince Hyacinth and the Dear Little Princess. Don't forget, we're reading Les Mortes d'Arthur the story of King Arthur and of his noble knights of the round table on our Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Prince Hyacinth and the Dear Little Princess Once upon a time, there lived a king who was deeply in love with a princess, but she could not marry anyone because she was under an enchantment. So the king set out to seek a fairy and ask what he could do to win the princess's love. The fairy said to him, You know that the princess has a great cat which she's very fond of. Whoever's clever enough to tread on that cat's tail is the man she is destined to marry. The king said to himself that this would not be very difficult, and he left the fairy determined to grind the cat's tail to powder rather than not tread on it at all. You may imagine that it was not long before he went to see the princess, and Puss, as usual, marched in before him, arching his back. The king took a long step and quite thought he had the tail under his foot, but the cat turned round so sharply that he only trod on air. And so it went on for eight days, till the king began to think that this fatal tail must be full of quicksilver. It was never still for a moment. At last, however, he was lucky enough to come upon the puss fast asleep and with his tail conveniently spread out. So the king, without losing a moment, set his foot upon it heavily. With one terrific yell, the cat sprang up and instantly changed into a tall man, who, fixing his angry eyes upon the king, said, You shall marry the princess because you've been able to break the enchantment, but I will have my revenge. You shall have a son who will never be happy until he finds out that his nose is too long, and if you ever tell anyone what I've just said to you, you shall vanish away instantly, and no one shall ever see you or hear of you again. The king was horribly afraid of the enchanter. He could not help laughing at this threat. If my son has such a long nose as that, he said to himself, he must always see it or feel it, at least if he is not blind or without hands. But as the enchanter had vanished, he did not waste any more time in thinking, but went to seek the princess, who very soon consented to marry him. But after all, they had not been married very long when the king died and the queen had nothing left to care for but her little son, who was called Hyacinth. The little prince had large blue eyes, the prettiest eyes in the world, and a sweet little mouth, but alas, his nose was so enormous that it covered half his face. The queen was inconsolable when she saw this great nose, but her ladies assured her that it was not really as large as it looked, that it was a Roman nose and you had only to open any history to see that every hero has a large nose. The queen, who was devoted to her baby, was pleased with what they told her, 
And when she looked at Hyacinth again, his nose certainly did not seem to her quite so large. The prince was brought up with great care, and as soon as he could speak, they told him all sorts of dreadful stories about people who had short noses. No one was allowed to come near him whose nose did not more or less resemble his own, and the courtiers, to get into favor with the queen, took to pulling their babies' noses several times every day to make them grow long. But do what they would, they were nothing by comparison with the princes. When he grew sensible, he learned history. And whenever any great prince or beautiful princess was spoken of, his teachers took care to tell him that they had long noses. His room was hung with pictures, all of people with very large noses. And the prince grew up so convinced that a long nose was a great beauty, that he would not on any account have had his own a single inch shorter. When his 20th birthday was passed, the queen thought it was time that he should be married, so she commanded that the portraits of several princesses should be brought for him to see, and among others was a picture of the dear little princess. Now she was the daughter of a great king, and would someday possess several kingdoms herself, but Prince Hyacinth had not a thought to spare for anything of that sort. He was so much struck with her beauty— the princess, whom he thought quite charming, had, however, a little saucy nose, which in her face was the prettiest thing possible. But it was a cause of great embarrassment to the courtiers, who had got into such a habit of laughing at little noses that they sometimes found themselves laughing at hers before they had time to think. But this did not do at all before the prince, who quite failed to see the joke, and actually banished two of his courtiers who had dared to mention disrespectfully the dear little princess's tiny nose. The others, taking warning from this, learned to think twice before they spoke, and one even went so far as to tell the prince that, though it was quite true that no man could be worth anything unless he had a long nose, still a woman's beauty was a different thing, and he knew a learned man who understood Greek and had read in some old manuscripts that the beautiful Cleopatra herself had a tip-tilted nose. The prince made him a splendid present as a reward for this good news, and at once sent ambassadors to ask the dear little princess in marriage. The king, her father, gave his consent, and Prince Hyacinth, who in his anxiety to see the princess had gone three leagues to meet her, was just advancing to kiss her hand. When to the horror of all who stood by, the enchanter appeared as suddenly as a flash of lightning, and snatching up the dear little princess, whirled her away out of their sight." prince was left quite unconsolable, and declared that nothing should induce him to go back to his kingdom until he had found her again, and refusing to allow any of his courtiers to follow him, he mounted his horse and rode sadly away, letting the animal choose his own path. So it happened that he came presently to a great plain, across which he rode all day long without seeing a single house, and horse and rider were terribly hungry." When as the night fell, the prince caught sight of a light which seemed to shine from a cavern. He rode up to it, and saw a little old woman who appeared to be at least a hundred years old. She put on her spectacles to look at Prince Hyacinth, but it was quite a long time before she could fix them securely because her nose was so very short. The prince and the fairy, for that was who she was, had no sooner looked at one another than they went into fits of laughter and cried at the same moment, "'Oh, what a funny nose!' Not so funny as your own, said Prince Hyacinth to the fairy. But, madame, I beg you to leave the consideration of our noses, such as they are, and to be good enough to give me something to eat, for I am starving and so is my poor horse. 
With all my heart, said the fairy. Oh, your nose is so ridiculous, you are nevertheless the son of my best friend. I loved your father as if he had been my brother. Now he had a very handsome nose. And pray, what is mine lack? said the prince. Oh, it doesn't lack anything, replied the fairy. On the contrary, quite. There is only too much of it. But never mind, one may be a very worthy man, though his nose is too long. I was telling you that I was your father's friend. He often came to see me in the old times. And you must know that I was very pretty in those days. At least he used to say so. I should like to tell you of a conversation we had the last time I ever saw him. Indeed, said the prince. When I have supped, it will give me the greatest pleasure to hear it. But consider, madam, I beg of you that I have had nothing to eat today. The poor boy is right, said the fairy. I was forgetting. Come in, then, and I will give you some supper. And while you are eating, I can tell you my story in a very few words. For I don't like endless tales myself. Too long a tongue is worse than too long a nose. And I remember when I was young that I was so much admired for not being a great chatterer. They used to tell the queen, my mother, that it was so. For though you see what I am now, I was the daughter of a great king. My father, your father, I dare say, got something to eat when he was hungry, interrupted the prince. Oh, certainly, answered the fairy. And you also shall have supper directly. I only just wanted to tell you, but I really cannot listen to anything until I've had something to eat, cried the prince, who was getting quite angry. But then, remembering that he had better be polite, as he much needed the fairy's help, he added, I know that in the pleasure of listening to you, I should quite forget my own hunger. But my horse, who cannot hear you, must really be fed. The fairy was very much flattered by this compliment and said, calling to her servants, You shall not wait another minute. You are so polite, and in spite of the enormous size of your nose, you are really very agreeable. Plague, take the old lady. How she does go on about my nose, said the prince to himself. One would almost think that mine had taken all the extra length that hers lacks. If I were not so hungry, I would soon have done with this chatterpie who thinks she talks very little. How stupid people are not to see their own faults. That comes of being a princess. She has been spoiled by flatterers who have made her believe that she is quite a moderate talker. Meanwhile, the servants were putting the supper on the table, and the prince was much amused to hear the fairy who asked them a thousand questions simply for the pleasure of hearing herself speak. Especially, he noticed, one maid, who, no matter what was being said, always contrived to praise her mistress's wisdom. Well, he thought as he ate his supper, I'm very glad I came here. This just shows me how sensible I have been in never listening to flatterers. People of that sort praise us to our faces without shame, and hide our faults or change them into virtues. For my part, I never will be taken in by them. I know my own defects, I hope. Poor Prince Hyacinth. He really believed what he said and hadn't an idea that the people who had praised his nose were laughing at him, just as the fairy's maid was laughing at her for the prince had seen her laugh slyly when she could do so without the fairies noticing her. However, he said nothing. And presently, when his hunger began to be appeased, the fairy said, My dear prince, might I beg you to move a little more that way? For your nose casts such a shadow that I really cannot see what I have on my plate. Ah, oh, thanks. Now let us speak of your father. When I went to his court, he was only a little boy. 
but that is 40 years ago and I've been in this desolate place ever since. Tell me what goes on nowadays. Are the ladies as fond of amusement as ever? In my time, one saw them at parties, theaters, balls, and promenades every day. Dear me, what a long nose you have. I cannot get used to it. Really, madame, said the prince. I wish you would leave off mentioning my nose. It cannot matter to you what it is like. I'm quite satisfied with it and have no wish to have it shorter. One must take what is given one. Now you are angry with me, my poor Hyacinth, said the fairy. And I assure you that I didn't mean to vex you. On the contrary, I wish to do you a service. However, though I really cannot help your nose being a shock to me, I will try not to say anything about it. I will even try to think that you have an ordinary nose. To tell the truth, it would make three reasonable ones. The prince, who was no longer hungry, grew so impatient at the fairy's continual remarks about his nose, that at last he threw himself upon his horse and rode hastily away. But wherever he came in his journeyings, he thought the people were mad, for they all talked of his nose, and yet he could not bring himself to admit that it was too long. He had been so used all his life to hear it called handsome. The old fairy who wished to make him happy at last hit upon a plan. She shut the dear little princess up in a palace of crystal, and put this palace down where the prince would not fail to find it. His joy at seeing the princess again was extreme, and he set to work with all his might to try to break her prison. But in spite of all his efforts, he failed utterly. In despair, he thought at least that he would try to get near enough to speak to the dear little princess, who on her part stretched out her hand that he might kiss it. But turn which way he might, he never could raise it to his lips, for his long nose always prevented it. For the first time, he realized how long it really was and exclaimed, well, it must be admitted that my nose is too long. In an instant, the crystal prison flew into a thousand splinters, and the old fairy, taking the dear little princess by the hand, said to the prince, Now say if you are not very much obliged to me. Much good it was for me to talk to you about your nose. You would never have found out how extraordinary it was if it hadn't hindered you from doing what you wanted to. You see how self-love keeps us from knowing our own defects of mind and body. Our reason tries in vain to show them to us. We refuse to see them till we find them in the way of our interests. Prince Hyacinth, whose nose was now just like anybody else's, did not fail to profit by the lesson he had received. He married the dear little princess, and they lived happily ever after. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week for Bridget's journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands and to hear one of her favorite fairy tales.